With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up episode for Season 10, Episode 22. This episode was all about Roy Swainson and Craig Peters. We didn't get a lot of new information about Swainson, but if you were paying attention, read the trial transcript, and uh, kind of read between the lines, I think it was pretty revealing. And then we had some uh, some shocking new information, at least it was shocking to me, about Craig Peters. I've got some more follow-up on that, have more information. I've spoken with Jackie Jeffley about that situation. So we'll take a quick break for an ad here, and we'll get right into your questions. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that he did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From Something Else, The Marshall Project, and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You've seen the film. You know the game. Now, Jumanji just got real. Only at Chessington World of Adventures. Featuring Daredevil Dad, Mom on a Mission, and the kids who can't wait to ride the world's first Jumanji roller coaster. An epic adventure awaits. World of Jumanji. Only at Chessington World of Adventures. Book this summer's must-do day out at Chessington.com. All right, before we get started with questions, I've got uh, some quick housekeeping. Any of you listeners who happen to live in or near Cleveland, Ohio, listen up. Uh, I need your help. I've got something really cool in the works right now, and um, just occurring to me that I haven't actually even mentioned it to Mike or Zach, so you guys don't know anything about it. Um, But you may want to be participating as well. So I met at the True Crime Podcast Festival, Josh Hallmark. Uh, I've known him. I interviewed him on True Crime Binge. Um, but the first time I got to meet him in person, we got to hang out a little bit. And uh, we did a live event there together and, and decided we should try to do something together to kind of collaborate with each other. He reached out to me a couple of days ago and said he's doing a tour of kind of meetups, live show type things. And he's going to be going to Cleveland, Ohio. I believe the date, it's not set in stone yet, but I believe the date's going to be August 5th. And he wanted to know if I wanted to meet him there and do something combined together. Of course, I said yes. It's only a few-hour drive for me. Uh, And then we also went ahead and threw that invitation out to some other Ohio podcasters we know. Uh, Nick and the captain from True Crime Garage. We've got a definite confirmation from the captain. Uh, Still waiting to hear back from Nick. And so essentially we're working on 
some kind of a very large meetup live show. We're not exactly sure yet, so don't quote me on these details. But our next step is we need to come up with a venue. Typically, when we do these types of things, we just go to a a bar that has a lot of space. I think it's going to be on a Thursday night. Um, Let them know we're coming and kind of reserve a big area. I think we don't know how many people will go. I would guess probably upwards of 100 folks will will probably come out, given all three of our audiences. Um, But Josh is in the process right now of trying to find a good venue to do it. I told him that I would throw it out to our listeners, because I'm sure there are a bunch of you from Cleveland. Um, so please reach out. You can send us an email uh, through our website. It's just uh, theories at truthandjusticepod.com. Send us an email, send us a Facebook message, however you want to reach out. Uh, if you have an idea or any connections that may be able to hook us up with uh, with a good venue in August, again, I think it's August 5th, Thursday night in Cleveland, Ohio. So um, so know that's coming uh, if you are interested in making the trip or if you're from there. And uh, and hopefully we'll have more details soon if anybody can help us out with coming up with uh, with a good venue for that. And with that being said, I don't th- we don't have any other housekeeping stuff, do we? No, we're all good, Bob. Our first question's from Kathy. We'll get right into these. Can you ask Jackie about the issue with Craig? Yes. As a matter of fact, this, this worked out perfectly. I had reached out to Jackie, and we've been communicating via text message back and forth throughout the week. She's got a sick puppy and uh, weren't able to connect. And literally moments before we came in here to record, she finally called me, and we touched base and, and talked this through. And the, and the situation is not is not exactly what it seemed um, from, from Jackie's perspective at all. And I guess I, I want to point out, so there were some people that were upset that I didn't give any kind of trigger warning for the last episode. So I guess I apologize for that. It didn't. So I guess I'll give one now. We're going, we're not discussing any details or any, anything that happened, but we are going to be discussing an alleged sexual assault. And, and, and alleged is, is the key word there, even according to Jackie. So this is what happened according to Jackie Jeffley. She said, that when they were living in the old apartment complex, the one where Craig lived, uh, that's the one that they eventually had a fire in and they had to move out, and that's how they got to Green Arbor. So they didn't know anybody in Houston. They met Craig. Uh, she's, a, she's always seemed like a very nice guy, was definitely a family friend. Uh, and then through some conversations that she had with Craig, this was back. She didn't know the dates, but we know the dates from the police files. This was like back in May. Uh, she definitely got the impression that Craig had some interest in in Jennifer, uh, like intimate interest in Jennifer. And she called the police and reported this. And she says that she she was completely unaware that this case was even still on the books in October. She said that when she called and reported, they, they took the police report, and then when they talked to her about it, they said that this is just hearsay, and in order to do anything with it, they would need a statement from Jennifer saying that something sexual had actually happened between her and Craig. And she did say she made clear that Jennifer denies that that ever happened. Um, uh, Jackie just got the impression that, that 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 was what was going on or that there was a potential for that to go on. And she was she was trying to protect her daughter. But but Jennifer would not give a statement. And Jennifer denied that anything had ever happened with Craig. Jackie says that she just learned that that case wasn't dropped against Craig until after Jennifer was arrested this week in the episode that she didn't know that she was she said that she was under the impression that nothing ever came of it because when Jennifer wouldn't give a statement 
then they were just not going to do anything with it. She said, That's what the district attorney told her back in May or June when all this was first starting. And so as far as you know, her dropping the charges, is she didn't drop the charges. They just told her that they couldn't do anything with it. And she said she definitely, the day after Jennifer got arrested, didn't go anywhere and drop charges. The only place she went was to the juvenile detention center uh, where Jennifer was being held and talked to her. There. So she didn't go to any courts. So she didn't drop any charges. Anything like that happened. So in my conversation with Jackie, uh, the best conclusion we could come up with, uh, and we really don't know, and it sounds like Craig doesn't really know either from what he told me when we were when I was in Houston with him, is that the charge was just kind of hanging out there. Like the, like I think they had arrested him and he had bonded out. And I had said that he was awaiting trial because he was there was, you know, they they were that's what he that was the, the stage he was in. But it sounds like the charge was just hanging out there and they never closed the case up. And then once Jennifer got arrested, then they went ahead and closed that case out. My guess is that they talked to Jennifer. I think when they probably brought her in, her name came up in the system that there was this charge, uh, this pending charge uh, for Craig against her. They probably, and I'm, I don't know because Jackie doesn't know either. Uh, but it seems like maybe they asked Jennifer if this had because it's because I told her it says that it was dismissed at the request of the complainant. So the best we can figure is the complainant they were referring to was Jennifer. That maybe they asked her while she was in custody, and she said no, it didn't happen, and they finally dropped it. Uh, but Jackie says she absolutely, definitely did not drop those charges. Like like go go anywhere or make any effort to drop the charges ever. She was just told that they couldn't do anything with it. She was told that months before this, and she most certainly didn't have any dealings with this case after the fact, after uh, Jennifer was arrested. So, you know, that, that what I just the, the scenario I just laid out to you is just kind of a hypothesis. We don't really know. As you know, I don't have access to Jennifer. We only have these records. And as I said, Jackie said that she is was unaware that those charges were even still pending at that point against Craig. Lisa says, you mentioned that Jen told Swainson that there were two other fellows in the apartment with Eva and her that morning, but their names escaped her. Why do you think she would say this? It almost sounds like she was trying to protect KD and Youngster. I think that this is another example of Swainson uh, rewriting history in his testimony. Now, yeah, she didn't give the full names, but if you go back and read the police reports, she said... That young she she gave the name youngster I believe and I guess I'd have to go back and confirm this and I'm sure you guys all fact check me on it but that she did but I believe that it did say that she told them that his name was youngster but that she didn't know his name right and I think there may have been one report where it says that she said his first name was Pharrell but she didn't know his last name so so you know what that read to me was that in real life in the first time they talked. Jen gave them the youngster, the street name, didn't know the real name, and then the picture that he paints at trial, which he does this throughout his testimony, he makes it sound as though she just wouldn't give him any names. Yeah, I caught that as well, and I, and I was really curious to see if maybe she was trying to cover for them. I don't know why she'd be covering for them, but I caught that as well, that she, in the moment, didn't know their names. It just seemed strange to me. Yeah, and it, well, and also the way the police reports are written, it certainly seems like she was trying to kind of protect them or keep the police away from them. But but again, like I as I'm realizing the deeper and deeper I get into this, I don't know that we can trust a freaking word 
that Swainson says happens. Maybe it did, maybe it didn't. But you remember, like they said, you know, they said, well, how'd they write it in the report? Oh, that they were asking her if uh, if she knew where Katie and Youngster were, and says she finally reluctantly pointed them out to us. Well, what does that mean? Did she was she really reluctant, or did she just say, yeah, there they are? We don't know because they put those little you know the little twist into into everything they said. I'm really wondering if Swainson thinks that at this point thinks that Katie and Youngster are suspects or has something to do with it. Because it seems like, you know, they question them uh-huh. before they go back to get Jennifer. And it seems like it was a long, the interview was a long time, like a four hour interrogation. Yeah. So let, let me break down that, that timeline a little bit. So yeah, they go to, they went to the complex in the morning, talked to Jennifer, left, came back, talked to her again. That's when they had Jennifer Page youngster and he called and then they left and went and picked it went to the house with kd and youngster and then they left and brought brought kd back with swainson to pick jennifer up and then they all got to the police station they all started their interrogations at about the same time about two thirty, three o'clock in the afternoon i think you're right i don't know if they necessarily thought that kd and youngster were involved i think that they thought one of the three, two of the three, or all of the three. I think they I think they knew there was something going on there and they 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 brought them in intentionally all together and started leaning on them, trying to get one to flip on each other. And this goes all the way back to my, you know, the, the thing that frustrates me, probably more than anything else in this case, the thing that frustrates me is that it's not to say that she's guilty, but the fact that the police never considered the fact that Eva was a suspect. And Swainson said as much right in his testimony that she was never a suspect because I think, you know, obviously my interpretation of this case is in the evidence in this case is very different than a lot of other people's. But when I look at the fact that when I learned that Katie and Youngster didn't just go in and give a statement, that they were interrogated for over four hours each to come up with those statements. And we know Jennifer was interrogated for for four hours before she finally got went to go give her warnings after she to, to get her final version of her statement. That the the, the police and that the intention of the detective seems to me that they thought if we get these three people in separate rooms, we can get one to flip on the other. And what do you end up with? You end up with complete nonsense. You end up with statements that don't line up, except for in, in observational points like where they were sleeping and when they got up. Once it gets down to the nitty-gritty parts of the crime being committed and the aftermath of the crime being committed, nobody's stories line up. I mean, they're actually they're completely nonsensical. They don't add up together. And what that tells me is even with the police pressure, even where Jennifer finally did cave, you can say she's innocent or guilty or whatever, but for some reason, she finally caved and was willing to admit her part. And I think that it's very, you can't even argue with the fact that her her confession is false. That doesn't necessarily mean that, that she wasn't involved, but that confession is false. It's nonsense bullshit that was put together by Alan. But the fact that when you lean on these teenagers for the, all day long to try to get them to flip on each other and all of them finally give the police what they think they want, Jennifer even admits guilt, none of them still point the finger at each other. It makes me wonder how different things might have shaken out had they included. And think about this. They took three out of the four people from that apartment and said, let's all put them in separate rooms and interrogate them and figure out what happened. What if they had went, what if they had done that with four out of four? What if they had put, because Eva never had any pressure put on her. 
She was sent to the station to give a written statement on the first day, like Jennifer was, to an uninvolved detective. She was never pressed. She was never interviewed or interrogated. She was just g- gave her statement. What if anyone had put any pressure on her and was able to use her to, 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 to have her be influenced by the leverage that they were putting on everyone else? I still can't figure out why they didn't question her. I, I, I still question like if she was a CI or something. Because it just doesn't make sense why they would believe her as much as they do. I don't know. I've heard rumors and theories. That they're, hypo- they're not even theories. They're, they're, they're just people guessing. But I, it kills me. And I think, and I, I know it's a question later, so I guess we'll, we'll move up, up to that now. But somebody, I think Lynn Downing was going through the, the trial testimony. And it's, it's insane. Like the, At one point, they ask him on the stand, was Eva ever considered a suspect? And he says, no, well, I mean, everybody's a suspect, but no. I mean, he literally says in the stand, everybody except Eva was a suspect. And they talk about the wallet. Like, you know, the fact that the wallet was found in her apartment didn't make you think that she was a suspect. And he still, he just points everything back at Jennifer. There's There's something, something to me seems very off with Swainson and Eva. The fact that he seems to just push and try to keep the case away from her and never consider her a suspect, never question her, never question her changing stories, none of that. And and I don't know what that is, whether it's a CI, whether it's a relationship, whether he knew her from war. I have no idea if or if any of that's true at all, or if so, what part would be. But there's something just does not make sense there. That they just they had no interest in her as a suspect from the very beginning. So I want to go back to Katie and Youngster for just a second. Okay. Do you find it unusual that Jen pointed them out? They left Jen to go talk to Katie and Youngster, once, uh-huh. and then they went back to retrieve Jen. Does that seem unusual to you? Doesn't it seem like if they really needed Jen, they would have taken her at that point? The only thing I could think of is that at that point, I think they probably thought that Jennifer was covering for them. And they probably thought KD and Youngster were the suspects, right? That, that I mean, I don't know that, but that's what it seems to me. Because if, if they were still really leaning on Jennifer as a suspect, I think they take her with. Maybe, I don't know. But, but the fact that they leave her, they go get them after they talk to them in the house. And again, another frustrating part, no recording, not even a note about what they said while they were in that house. But after talking to them, I think they realize, oh, well, they're telling us different stories about where Jennifer's at. Maybe we should get her, too. I really think, I really honestly believe that when they took the three of them back to the station, they knew something. And, and by the way, I don't, I don't uh, fault them for this. I would think the same thing. I think that they had enough information. They're like, something fucking stinks here. Something's not right between these three. They should have had the foresight to say there's something not right between these four. Because Eva's statement, they kept saying that they confirmed Eva's statements, but they didn't. Her statement was even more off than theirs was. None of them matched up. But I think they thought, I th- and rightly so, we have all these three stories. Everybody's, nothing lines up. Something's fishy with this. So let's bring all three of them in and put some pressure on them, see if we can figure out what happened. Yeah, so I, I, I'm thinking that maybe they didn't necessarily think it was Jennifer, but they knew somebody from that apartment was involved. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? 
Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, believe it by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Kathy says, do you believe Craig when he told you he wanted to pick Jen up to take to the old neighborhood? And was it illegal for him to be contacting her at all with that pending charge? As far as believing him... He- Craig was pretty clear with me. You know, somebody also gave me a hard time for saying, I can't believe you called Craig a straight shooter when he was. Well, first of all, there were people that were that were like, how could you? He's a rapist. How could you call him a straight shooter? First of all, he's not a rapist. He's he was, a, you know, this is truth and justice. This is innocent until proven guilty. That's what we do. He was accused and the charges were dropped and there was never a shred of evidence presented against him that he did anything. So we can't assume that he did. Maybe you don't want to assume that he didn't, but we definitely can't assume that he did. Uh, and, w- and when I said in the episode that I thought Craig was a straight shooter, that's why I asked him the question. What I meant by that was in the questions I was asking him, he appeared to be answering as honestly as possible to me. And one of the indicators I have of that is he was telling me, he's like, I, you know, I think it was this. You, you'll, you hear him correcting himself sometimes. Like, and when he says, you know, uh, Jennifer paged me or no, I paged her. Uh, and when I ask him, you know, did they ask you if you talked to her? And he says, yeah, I really, I can't say that they did. I can't say they don't. I don't remember. And and so he was, he, he was repeatedly telling, especially before we turned the microphone and stuff on, when I first got there and talked to him would be kind of pre-interview was just me, just meeting him was that, you know, man, it's been 25 years ago. He doesn't exactly remember. And, and so he was clear to me that as far as like the exact, I think he even said it in the part of the interview that was aired. That, you know, I, I I can't tell you for sure exactly how things went down, but I know there was this sequence of events. There was a page and a call and, and that. So the way he remembers it, he was going to pick her up. I would say, I guess the answer to your question is, I believe that he believes that. I don't know if it's accurate because I think he would tell you he doesn't know if that's accurate because it's been so long. You know, a question that comes out with Craig for me is i mean there's a couple that come out but the one that's that's relevant at the moment is you know he talks about going to meet swainson and when he gets there swainson's, swainson's gone uh-huh. and he doesn't reply to his phone calls whatever and then swainson's story is craig never shows up now i i have to wonder if maybe both sides of that story are a little true like maybe swainson did are. wait yeah and craig didn't show up in a timely fashion yeah, for sure. I think that, you know, and part of the reason I wanted to address that with him was because of just um, posts uh, from some listeners on the fan page who had looked at these records and got the impression from reading Swainson's testimony that Swainson was saying it was making it seem like I tried to get a hold of him and he never showed up like, as though he was avoiding him. He doesn't actually he maybe gives that impression. He doesn't he actually he just says exactly what you said. Page said he was supposed to come meet me. He never showed up. Craig says. He called me. I talked to him. He told me to meet him at the apartment. When I went, he was gone. So for sure, those two could be both be accurate and probably are, I would assume. The issue comes in for me in the fact that then Craig says that he's calling him. 
over, you know, he, he called him multiple times on the phone and he never got him back. And, and I want to touch on that for a minute too. Some of the suggestions that came out of this episode were people uh, saying that they were, that they thought this could have been like a quid pro quo, right? Like I'll drop the charges against you if you help me. And, and that's why I'm glad I got a chance to, t- to finally to, to connect with Jackie and talk to her about it. Because, you know, my first, and I had said this in multiple conversations on the fan page, it's like quid pro quo for what? You know what I mean? So like, that would be like, mean, that would look something like I'll drop the charges if you help Jennifer, right? But he didn't help Jennifer at all. He, he was never asked. It it sounded like from talking to Jackie, they didn't realize that he had really any relevance in the case. They didn't know that at the time. That nobody ever asked him to testify. He didn't, you know, there were, he didn't do anything to help. He didn't testify for the state or for the process or for the defense. You know, he, he, he had no involvement in this case whatsoever afterwards. And, and, you know, people were like, well, maybe they didn't, they didn't have him testify because of this charge and it was dropped. It didn't, because I asked Jackie today, did any of the lawyers ever ask him to testify? And she said, no, didn't think so. Like, they didn't really know that he was relevant to the whole thing. They didn't know that. Because Jennifer is telling them, I don't know what happened. They don't know the timing of what happened. You see this a lot in cases like this where they're like, well, why didn't you tell us if you had an alibi? It's like, well, I didn't know what time of day I needed an alibi for. I didn't know the sequence of events and, and how things shook out. But I just wanted to point that out. That if you're thinking there's whether it's on the side of the state or the side of the family, there's no, you know, Craig had literally no involvement in this case whatsoever. Well, I wonder if that's exactly why Swainson never called him back is he thought he had no relevance to the case and he, you know, not to defend Swainson, but it's a murder case. He's, he's busy. He's trying to do things. And if this, if he believes this guy has no relevance, then he has no re- reason yeah. to continue with See, him. I don't buy that one because the one person who did know that Craig was relevant was Swainson. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, like Swainson knew, you know, Jennifer's mom didn't have access to Jennifer's written statements. Mm-hmm. She didn't have access to her confession. She didn't know. That, you know, how the timing of any of this went, the only person who had that information that knew that it wasn't any, and you know that he knew it was important because he went to confirm with Janet. Okay. That she was there. The, the, you know, Detective Allen and Detective Swainson both knew that it was important in order to piece together where, who was where and when, if she had gone and made that phone call and when. And, and I think that he just, I, I think it comes down to not wanting bad evidence. I think, it, you know, that they they don't want, you know, because what if they talk to him and they look up the phone records and find out that the timing wouldn't work? Not to you know, I think we know now that that's not the case. But so they just left it alone and he ignored Craig's calls because I think that he was uh, he was definitely had blinders on and they they decided it was Jennifer and they were going to stick with that. So, of course, he doesn't want to talk to the person who says that they talked to who she says she talked to on the phone that morning. Because that can only make things better for her, not worse. So they don't want to talk to him. So I'll ask you just straight out from me to you. Do you think Swainson was being malicious in this, like towards this? Or do you think he was just doing like a ends justify the means process of this investigation? I think that an ends justifies the means process is malicious, in my opinion. You know, it's because so, I mean, yes to both, right? Okay. That's just my opinion. But that mentality accounts for so many wrongful convictions mm-hmm. it, it, it's staggering because and what would i'm assuming what you mean by that is where they truly believe this person is guilty and so they'll cheat and cut corners correct which i still don't believe is is correct but i'm just curious as to where you feel on yeah this. so 
in this case, I mean, I, I don't even think, honestly, I don't even think it was that. If it was that, I would still say that's malicious. But I don't think that Detective Allen or Swainson or the prosecutor truly believed that Jen did this. Okay. I don't think. And that and, and they could be wrong. They're, I mean, they don't, because they, they did such a shitty job investigating, you know, who the fuck knows, right? And that's what we're trying to do is figure that out. Mm-hmm. And I say that because when you see the way the prosecutor dances around the questioning of witnesses, go back to the butcher knife thing as an example, right? Detective Allen gets her to say it was very specifically a large butcher knife. He says in his testimony that when he saw the wounds, he thought it was a he he thought she had been stabbed with a large butcher knife. She words Glazer words the questions in just such a way that it seems like he's saying she actually was killed with a large butcher knife. And the same thing was true with the ME. Remember that sequence of, yeah, I'm paraphrasing, but essentially, would you say that a large butcher knife is something that could kill a person? Yeah. So if someone stabbed someone in the chest with a large butcher knife, that would be a fatal wound. Yes. Would you say that Catalina was killed with a knife? Yes. So, and so what, what I see there when I see that is they are very well aware that that confession is false. Okay. And they're fighting against it. So, so they're so, just trying to push for a conviction right. rather than the truth or whether he actually believes that she did it or not. I think my personal opinion is that the biggest mistakes made in this case, whether they got the right person or not, is, and I've said it before, it just has to do with it's, it's racism. I don't think they cared if they caught the actual person that killed this Hispanic woman. And I don't think they cared which black person they locked up. And, and, and that's the bottom line. And, and, and evidence to that is the fact that even if Jennifer is guilty in the way that they say that she's guilty, there's still two other people out there that actually physically took this poor old woman and beat her and stabbed her to death inside of her apartment, and they made no effort. They closed the case immediately once they had Jennifer in, in custody. They made no effort to try to figure out who actually killed Catalina. And that tells you right there that they didn't actually care who killed Catalina. Lynn says you stated Keith lied about calling police the night before the murder. It seems he was pointing police at Eva. Why do you think Keith's efforts failed? I don't know if that I, – I don't think I said that, but and if, and if I did, I, I want to clarify. I don't, I'm not saying Keith lied about calling the police for the party the night before. All I'm saying is that there's no police record of it, and one possibility – in that would be that Keith lied about it. But there are also possibilities that he didn't, that he did call and they just didn't show up or they didn't take it seriously or some, you know, think of, think of the West Memphis three case when the cop that went to Bojangles that, uh, you know, stopped by, didn't see anything important and just left. You know, there, there's, there's a lot of other things. So, so I, I am not saying that Keith lied about that. I'm just saying that I, that's, that's a possibility in a, in, in out of several possibilities as to why there's no police record of that actually happening and whether or not that, and I don't know that he's specifically pointing the finger at Eva by doing that. You know, let's, let's say that he was lying. And by the way, I don't think that he was lying, Uh, but let's just say that he was lying about the whole thing. Well, she, he's just, he's saying outside of that apartment, there were several black males. Remember, he doesn't say Eva. He doesn't say Jennifer. He doesn't even say a female was there. He's saying outside of that apartment, there were several black males. And now we have 
in Janine's written statement, her her game of telephone when she retells that story, uh, it, it, it's, it sounds much different. But in the actual statement taken from Keith, he doesn't say anything about even a female being out there. So I don't think he's pointing the finger at, at Eva. Carly says, have there been any efforts to search nearby dates regarding the pot party or whatever it was that Keith Truesdale supposedly reported? Yeah, when I filed my open records request, I requested any calls to service for the police to the Green Arbor Apartments. I believe I put in for the day before, the day of, and the day after. I might have—I don't remember now if it was, two, or it might have been two days, but I think it was because I think it was a three-day window I put in for any calls to service, and 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 the response I got was that there were, other than the murder, there were no police responses to the to the complex at all. Zach says, was the order of questions or conversation in the episode chronological? Asking if the last thing you and Craig spoke of was the charges that were dropped. One of my early theories was perhaps one of the adults in Jennifer's life was involved. I think their relationship and Craig's relationship with Jennifer's family and or Janet in the months leading up to the murder are worth diving into. And finally, going with the angle that Swainson may have served this one up as crooked, as you mentioned in the episode, do we know if there were any complaints or a pattern to prove that Swainson may have a history of this type of behavior? Okay, that's a lot to unpack. So the first part, uh, whether it was chronological, yeah, it, it was chronological to an extent, but, but part of my interviewing process is I will ask the same question in different ways multiple times and circle back. So the kind of order that I went through was, do you remember talking to Jennifer that morning? What did you, re- what do you remember about that? Did the police ever reach out to you? What did that look like? And then what happened with this charge? Uh, that was, that was the basic order of the questions as I worked through. But then, then it was like circle. There was definitely, there's always circling back and let me reconfirm what you said first. Let me reconfirm what you said second, reconfirm what you said third. So are you saying that it was like this? Am I understanding? So there, there's a lot of that in, in, in a raw interview with someone, but essentially what you heard was the kind of the order was the basic order of the questions that, that I was asking him. And, uh, to the second part of your question, I'm, I'm working on that. I'm, I'm trying to see, uh, I've got some connections, hopefully that can get me access to, uh, the T Coles record, which are, are police records that, that would indicate any complaints against a particular officer. I've, cause right now I have nothing. So I've got rumors. I've, I've, there are people that, knew of him that knew him from the from the time that have just kind of shared rumors but it's not they're just rumors so I'm not I can't I can't talk about them really and who knows if they if they're true but I'm trying to see if there's any actual documented I I've, I've definitely come across a few cases where he was accused in in appellate documents of planting evidence but you know these are cases it's the CCA in Texas so the uh you know the uh the the appellant lost their appeal, so you know whether or not it was true or not. But, he, but there's, he's definitely been questioned on that in, in some appeals. But uh, I'm 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 working on looking into that further. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. 
Josh says, regarding Swainson's credibility, you claim the shirt color issue is the impetus for believing Swainson was a dirty cop. Is there any chance it was an honest mistake? No, I don't think it was an honest mistake. And that's not necessarily the impetus for believing he was uh, a dirty cop. I, I guess kind of meaning that that was the first thing that, that caught my attention. But I mean, just look at his. So here's one thing he admits to. He admits that after Jennifer was in custody, had been read her warnings, and was sitting down for the purpose of giving a written statement that that would inculpate, inculpate her, that was you know, her confession. He admits during that process that Jennifer's mother called and he spoke with her, and he didn't inform her that her daughter was in custody and then she was about to make an incriminating written statement. That is illegal. That is directly against, I mean, it's it's got moral interpretude written all over it and ethical, but it is it is actually illegal. He was required by law, and he knew it that he was required to tell her what was going on right now, and that she had the right to be there before Jennifer gave any any statement, and he didn't do it. So there's something he admitted to, which is which is speaking of impetus, the impetus of the entire confession. Imagine how differently that would have went. If she said, stop talking to my daughter right now, I'm coming down there. What does the case look like then? The entire case we have is because Swainson did not fulfill his legal and moral obligation to inform Jackie Jeffley that they were interrogating her daughter at that point. Not to mention the repeated calls throughout the day where he just kept telling her, oh, we're going to bring her home. We're going to bring her home. We're going to bring her home. And clearly they weren't. So, so there's something he admitted to. Add to that Harriet Jeffley's story. I mean, I guess you could say you don't believe Jennifer's grandmother, but her story sure made a lot of sense to me when you read it in her testimony that, you know, that, that he that he basically snuck Jennifer out of there. And then when she said, well, let me get my key so I can follow you. And then he said she could. And then he takes off without her. I mean, he, he made we have a, a ton of evidence that he made a concerted effort to keep Jennifer's mother and her grandmother away from her so that he could put her in a position to get the confession out of her. So these things, that particular one, you can you can choose not to believe Jennifer's grandmother there, that that's not how it happened. Uh, I choose to believe her grandmother. I don't see any reason not to believe her grandmother as far, to, as far as what happened and how that transpired that morning. So, and then you have these, we have the multiple instances through his trial testimony where he's bending and twisting the truth to make, to make things fit his case better. And then we go back to the fact that we have all these witnesses that are given these, you know, the, the girl with the black T-shirt and the two-tone highlighted hair. And as I said before, I'm not going to go through it you know, over and over again, but you know, like the, the biggest, the first one that caught my attention was House and Ram sees Jennifer in the shadows underneath a staircase through the stairs facing him and somehow knows that her hair has highlights on it. That was the first, wait a minute. There's no way he actually saw that. So then you start looking through the rest of the statement. And it's like, oh, look, every report he wrote says that the witness described her that way. And then we find out that she was wearing the black shirt and jeans. She had changed. She was wearing shorts before, according to his witnesses. And now she's wearing jeans and a black shirt. Even Eva says that she changed from a white shirt to a black shirt. Jennifer, in her confession, when she's admitting guilt, says she was wearing a white shirt during this whole time. She takes Alan to the apartment. And finds the white shirt sitting there in the apartment. There, I mean, there, everything indicates she's wearing a white T-shirt. 
And here you have consistently every witness that swings in documents that he doesn't record, doesn't have them sign, but he documents that, oh, by the way, they said she, they said the girl they saw was wearing a black T-shirt, when in fact we know if that's true, it wasn't Jennifer because she wasn't wearing a black T-shirt. She was wearing a white, and, and might I add, it's not like, oh, nope, got him. She wasn't wearing black. She was wearing dark blue. Literally. It is a, it, this is a black and white issue. It couldn't be any, any more further apart. That is not a mistake. It is not a mistake for, House and Ram, for it to be in House and Ram's written statement that Jennifer had highlights in her hair. That's not a mistake. That didn't accidentally happen. That's him putting that in there for him trying to strengthen his case. And unfortunately, now we don't know what it means. We're trying to piece together. You know, was this, uh, you know, was June Sage telling the truth or did she see Jennifer? Well, it's, it's gone way beyond. Well, we don't actually know exactly what June said because it's not recorded. Now we're at the point where we don't know what June said because it's not reported. And we know that Swainson was doctoring these statements later to try to strengthen his case. So who the hell knows what, what was actually said there? And no, I don't think it was a mistake. I 100% think that it was uh, malicious, even if it was an end justifies the mean scenario, as Jack said, uh, that they actually thought Jennifer was guilty. Because of his dishonesty, we literally are in a position where we don't know what these people actually said unless we can go actually talk to them, which is what I was doing there last week. And I'm sure I'll be going again soon because at this point, we've got to, unfortunately, some of them are dead. Some of them don't remember. but. We've got to find out what these people actually said. And a lot of this is going to end up having to come down to forensics because he botched this case up so bad, in my opinion, due to his complete dishonesty and lack of a moral compass. Kristen says, was Craig the person who Kim and Jennifer were staying with when they left home? It seems to me with Craig's trial pending, that wouldn't be a smart move, but nothing anyone has done in the case has been smart. No, I I think what what Jackie had said when I interviewed her was that... um, when they were gone for those couple of days that she thought they might've been with Craig, uh, but they were, it sounds like they were with it. They were, they were within that complex, I think for most of the time they were gone, I think, but, but no, neither uh, Jennifer, when I did talk to her about the, which you guys have heard that interview about the days leading up to nor Kim said they were staying with Craig. They were staying with someone else. Our last questions from Michael. So you're happy to say that heaps of witnesses saw Jen in the same color shirt, making them far more believable than Swainson. That's fair enough. Wasn't June one of those witnesses? So we can say Jen was at the door. No, like if I'm understanding this question right, no, I, the exact opposite. It's, it's what I just explained is I'm not saying that those people got the wrong colored shirt. I'm saying that Swainson wrote down, for all we know, they didn't even say that she was wearing a particular colored shirt. So, so that's what we have to realize is, is there's a chance that June said, yeah, I saw there was a girl at my door, and then she knocked, and then these guys came in, and then they left. That there's a chance that that's all she said, and that, and that Swain, because of the, the, what he's done, what I believe that he has done in this case, we just don't know what they said. So I'm, no, I'm not saying that this means that June saw Jennifer. I'm not saying that the witnesses got the shirt wrong. I'm saying that Swainson inserted that information about the black shirt, trying to strengthen his case, and instead, what he did is he blew it up. All right, that's it for questions. 
Yeah, and real quick before I let you guys know, we're going to have um, uh, a little bit of a divergence this weekend. A lot of you, a lot of you have been hitting me up on social media about some developments in the West Memphis 3 case. Uh, there's a lot going on there right now. I've interviewed a few people, and we're trying to get to the bottom of the situation. So this Sunday's episode is actually going to be an update on Season 5. And then we'll be getting back into the Jeff Lee case next weekend. So this Sunday, make sure you tune in. We've got a very interesting update on our Season 5 case, The Forgotten West Memphis 3. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing, and all music for the show is created and composed by PutThemInASong.com. Our follow-up logo was created by Zach Weaver, and all of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, Truth and Justice Pod, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Charlena White, Kay Wood Yamnick, Ginger Fiola, Edith Swanneck, Lindsay Pease, Erica Cantor, and Jen Reese Incandela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd really like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we also have reward levels on Patreon that include access to behind-the-scenes videos of the tapings of our Friday follow-up episodes, ad-free versions of all of our episodes, Truth and Justice Army t-shirts and hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a 5-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, Truth and Justice Pod. Just click the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is engage in the investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found at BobRuffTruth. Mike can be found at Murb Gaming, M-U-R-R-B-G-A-M-I-N-G, and Zach is at Z to the Q. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, and tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Mike Bussing. And this has been Truth and Justice. You know, which is why they yeah, they might, they what might do they do? Which ones are, are they? they sure well, they're fans wait, of which yours? Which one is that? Is that the is that the trade guy or yeah. is that the SEC video the, content guy? No, SEC are the people that that that.
that go after people. Oh, who that's do the FCC. Training. FCC. The FCC is the one you're thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the FCC is on here too. Like, yeah, gotta watch what we say. Probably the FBI even. Right. Like, yeah. Let's well, be honest. For sure, no, for sure they are. This like, podcast is alphabet soup. They're all watching the FBI, the CIA, soup. the FCC, yeah, yeah, yeah. the SEC. Acronym salad. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you don't think that alphabet soup was better? Do you think it really needed? Do you think it? Do you think it needed? I like mine more. Did it? But maybe it was. It was great. It's definitely not better, but I, I certainly don't think that mine left anything neat on the table that needed to be added to it. I, there's always always room to elaborate. <laughs>